but um, I really always look for what is that person that I'm dealing with. That child is actually a person and our goal is that one day they will be self-sufficient and be okay and of course have a relationship with the Lord. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Jennifer Thomas, TBHC's Marketing Director. We are excited you are joining us today to hear stories of foster care and adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, President of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. Today, my guest is Ann Schmidt. She is a veteran of adoption and foster care with her husband, Randy. They started in 1984. She and her husband have adopted five children and have two biological children. Yes, you did the math right, seven children. She has been in the system and aware of what this can do in kids' lives and has, been, has chosen to be a beacon of love to everyone in their home. Along with her legacy, her legacy of adoption, it's really special, but she's also enjoyed a legacy of being a grandparent. They have six grandkids with the youngest being five weeks all the way up to seven years old. When sharing about her story, she said, I always hope that our story will touch someone and make a difference. I don't think everyone should adopt, but I also realize that as a Christian, we are all called to care for orphans. The lives we have are not our own. I love that quote. Thank you, Anne, for joining me today. Thank you for letting me talk. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, really excited to have you. Uh, will you tell us your Bringing Kids Home story? All right. Um, Randy and I met in 1981, and he was a police officer, and I had my first day on the job as a police dispatcher there in Plano. Um, and we um, decided that week that we should get married and we waited a whole five months so we could plan the wedding um just because we had the same values we um yeah. you know checked all the boxes and also i kind of liked him and he liked me um but during even our dating we talked about adopting and as yeah. um i was an adopted at six months um adoption's always been a huge issue for me uh and then a couple of years after our marriage, we decided um, to foster. We had one baby, a birth baby, Jonathan, and we fostered um, a little boy that was five, I think. Yeah. And uh, just for about three months back then, the um, CPS worked directly with the foster parents and we um, fostered him. He went home, came back into care. That's kind of what was happening back then a lot, just back and forth, back and forth. Um, and after him, we got a little boy that was eight and stayed with us for 20 months. And during that time, we also had another um, biological child, our daughter, Amanda. And one thing about this child, um, the little foster child was he did not like babies. And it was a difficult, difficult thing for him. Um, but he ended up actually going home against our wishes. Uh, but after that, we realized with two little tiny ones in the house that foster care was not going to work for us anymore. And we knew 
that any children we brought into the home needed to be younger for many reasons, protection and also just for role models. So I found out that you could um, adopt babies, even if you already had babies, if they were considered special needs. And I just looked this up today. Biracial babies are still considered special needs. And at the time were very difficult to place. So we looked into that through a private agency, Hope Cottage, um, which is very old too. I think it was the first adoption agency in Dallas. Um, and ended up, um, we requested a biracial baby boy and he arrived in our home, he was five months old and that was directly after Amanda turned two because she had to be two before he could come. And then we thought it'd be really cool if we had all our children very close in age. And I think we should have rethought that, but I also <laughs> didn't know how long it would take. So we ended up um, adopting our um, youngest of um, what um, she calls um, the A-team. <laughs> And um, she was five weeks when she came to our house and David had just, he was gonna turn three, I think. So they're all fairly close in age. Um, they all grew up and Randy was looking at retirement and we knew we weren't gonna just um, retire and sit down and watch TV or travel or any of those normal things, um, cause we're not normal. And we started talking about fostering again our daughter, our youngest then was 16, and she said, oh, we'll start doing it now while I'm still home. Then I can help you. And she had in her mind little sweet babies. And of course, we weren't going to foster babies. Um, so we did start even before Randy retired and ended up first day uh, with a little girl who was six years old jumped out of the car with the social worker. And she came from a very, very difficult difficult past. She was now at this point separated not only from her parents but from her other siblings and she was all alone and as she was walking up the caseworker said well are you going to adopt her because she's free and I said well we hadn't what we were going to do was just foster. We told everyone in the class we're fostering. We will always foster. We're the only people in the whole class that didn't want to adopt but um, she had nowhere to go and there was no point in moving her again. Every time you move these kids, I heard they like lose a year of development. And so we knew that she fit in and she was meant to be. And so we actually stopped foster parenting um, to deal with her because it was not that easy. Uh, and then once we thought she was more settled about three years later, we said, oh, let's try it again. Went through all the classes again. We are so well-trained. Um, and ended up with another little six-year-old girl and she came in certain that she was not staying with us that she was a kid who moved that's what she said well i'm a kid who moves and she also was separated from the rest of her five uh four siblings and all alone although she had she had contact with them um and ended up after cps you know tried to figure out what to do and had a lot of ideas and then changed. Anyway, ended up she was free for adoption. And against um, her initial wishes, we said we're gonna adopt her. And I think 50% of her behaviors changed once um, she realized she wasn't going anywhere else. 
And finally, we um, still wanted to foster. I actually decided to, I was the church secretary for 20 years at our church. And I realized I can't raise these children and do anything else. So I decided to retire. And that's retiring without a pension, though. <laughs> it's just retiring. And decided we can foster again then. And so we, um, we did have a little boy that came and went. And then on um, one spring break, we agreed to um, have some, a couple of kids come for respite. And we met an 11-year-old boy who had, he'd been in the system six years. And he was not the nicest person I've ever met. Very kind of depressed and just um, not um, very sedate. All he wanted to do was play video games. But um, he mentioned to Randy on, when Randy took him home, uh, I'd really like to come back to your house. And I looked him up, and there he was on the, you know, the CPS um, pictures of who you can adopt. And he'd been there six years, and I said, just isn't right. He deserves a chance. So we asked him, and he said, yeah, I'd like to. And so we adopted him, and that filled up all our bedrooms. and build up um, our emotional abilities. And so he was, he was the last one. Wow. What a story. Goodness gracious. That's an amazing thing. Well, you know, one of the things that really strikes me as you're sharing is making tough decisions for your kids and, and not, you know, on their behalf, but making choices that are best for your kids when there's so many other kids out there that need help. Um, I know that we have some foster parents and we've had some adoptive parents that like, well, there's more kids to care for. And I think you could really probably really encourage people with how do you make the choice to do what's best for your kids when there's so many other kids that also need home and help. It, it is a, a difficult point. For one thing, I just have it in me. We also have a few pets that people couldn't take care of. So we are. Um, and at some point, you know, you have to say, no, I can't, I can't take care of more than five dogs. I just can't do it. Um, with, as far as kids were concerned, we, um, we actually, during the time that once um, James came to our home, we did have a couple other kids come and go and we could see the family dynamics and the, the damage because every single one of these guys comes with a past, they're wounded children, and it is not simple. And not, and we, you know, we've raised a few of the other kids and we, our first kids, and it was not simple. Um, the, the two younger ones of a team, um, were normal, regular teenagers are, are actually our biological children, both are high functioning autistic. And so it, you know, we had people say, Oh, you never know what you're going to get if you adopt. Well, you never know what you're going to get. And we have amazing adult children. All four of them are doing well. But, um, the, you know, parenting's not simple. And every time you add another human being to the mix, everybody um, faces, you know, adaptations and changes. And we've, we found that um, the three that we had, would suffer greatly if we put any more into it. And yeah, I still think one, I wanted four more because that would be four and four. And so I kind of, and I always feel like, yeah, there's so many more kids. There's so many, 
but we know emotionally where we're at and you you can have so many problems and difficulties and then you're not helping anyone including the family you already have yeah that's so important you're you're you reach a point where in order to make a difference in kids lives you can't make a difference in every kid's life and it's exactly. it's hard um well you, you know I, I've heard a little bit of alluding to it, but I'd love to hear how your faith has really impacted your story. Because along the journey, uh, you mentioned many times in uh, the little writing that I have from you that uh, God has just really dictated the course of your life and really guided you along the way and your obedience. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about how has God really guided this relationship with God and your faith in him really guided what you've done? Um, well, I will say um, I'm not always that so good at it. Thankfully, God is gracious. <laughs> um, but I, I became a Christian at 14. And, you know, like I said, I was adopted. It was a very difficult thing for me my whole childhood. And I have wonderful, my parents are still here. And they're 92 and 89 this year. Um, and they are probably the most amazing people I've ever met. And, and we're very proud of them. They're still active. But anyway, they um, still had, you know, adopted three children that one of them was four. And so that was my brother. And it was difficult. And back then, you know, they didn't tell adoptive parents a lot. Um, they just told them, you know, to kind of pretend that he hadn't been adopted and let him grow up. But um, you have to go through a grief process as an adoptee. I really, I firmly believe that. And Part of the grief process is anger, and a lot of people get stuck there. So anyway, um, I, when I became a Christian that week, actually, I found Psalm 139, and I thought, that is something. Somebody loved me way back before anyone did. And having um, found my biological family and now at 61 learning I have um, a different biological father than I thought, I know that um, my birth mother didn't want me and didn't love me. And, you know, I, I think I knew that all along, but anyway, God did. Um, and we saw it so clearly with, um, the children that we prayed for that we adopted as babies, amazing, amazing children and good birth mothers that, you know, did the best thing they thought, you know, for that child. And both of them, fortunately, see it. I mean, we, we never, we learned, um, you know, fostering in the eighties that you are not appreciated by the foster children and most, well, actually you're not appreciated by your children, period, but they're not going to wake up and go, oh, aren't these people wonderful? And you better not be doing foster care or adoption so that those kids will tell you you're wonderful because that, that isn't how it works. Um, but as adults, both of those, um, guys, they know um, that God put them where they were supposed to be and opportunities, maybe a little bit that they had, um, you know, were more so, and they got the kind of care that they needed, um, with the foster kids that come in and, um, uh, you know, already are half grown and, and have a life and memories, um, Every, what everybody wants is for the people that are supposed to love them and care for them um, to do that. And so we prayed over them. We love them, but we also do the best we can parenting and 
part of that is you have to go to church and we've tried to teach them who to turn to. Um, and it, it's an up and down kind of battle where um, we have had a lot of trauma. Traumatized people bring trauma <laughs> to you. And it, you know, I, I think that God is teaching me things and making me more of who he wants me to be. He never promised I could um, sit around and watch TV and, you know, law and order, which I was doing before we did foster care. And, you know, just do this. Like I said, this life is not my life. And I hope that we're making a little bit of a difference in these three guys. And, um, and then, and the beautiful, I have the most beautiful grandbabies you have ever seen. Well, a heritage. I mean, it's, it's so wonderful to hear about a heritage that you're describing um, with legacies and your unique heritage is um, how do you think that has really helped shape the kind of adoptive mom and the kind of foster mom you've been? How do you think that's impacted you? Well, I think for one thing, and I'm not sure if I'm, well, part of it is adoption. Um, I never expected any of the kids to become somebody they weren't. And I've been, um, some people would just say I'm a wimp at parenting, but I, you know, didn't have big grandiose plans for any of them. Um, we had, you know, a difficult birth with our first child and we knew he would develop more slowly. And that was part of the teaching. But um, I really always look for what is that person that I'm dealing with? That child is actually a person. And our goal is that one day they will be self-sufficient and be okay. And of course, have a relationship with the Lord. But all of that is in them. And I we haven't, you know, we, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but I had a lady call me once when one of the kids was in elementary school and she, she was upset because they had all been on a team in a class and they were going to make a C on the project that they were working on. And, you know, my, her kid should have made an A. And I said, man, I am just so glad if I get them on the bus and they go to school and nobody calls me during the day to say they're, you know, they've cleared out the first grade classroom because of their behavior. So I, I'm okay if she makes a C. <laughs> Wrong person to call. But um, I just, I know that God makes each one of them. And, you know, our hope is that they make good choices and um, make um, successful adults. And we're still, you know, in that process. Hi, I'm Jamie Hogan, Executive Program Administrator at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption Services. Did you know there's over 7,000 children waiting for adoption today? Did you also know that Texas has 30,000 children entering foster care every year? At TBHC, our hope is to provide the highest quality of care for kids who are coming from really hard places. We work to make sure that children in our care have a safe and loving home and that their dreams have no limits. What if you could be a part of making those dreams possible? I'd like to invite you to join the thousands of people who help TBHC meet the needs of children by going online to tbhc.org and clicking the donate button. Our ministry depends on supporters like you to help bring kids home. On our website, you can also find out more information about our agency, inspiring stories, and ways to pray for TBHC kids. To find out how you can make an impact on children in foster care, check us out at tbhc.org.
That's super important. Well, one of the things you alluded to that I'd, I'd love for you to share, um, I think that would really impact some of our families. Uh, disengaged children. Uh, what would you say to a family wanting to adopt, but afraid of the potential uh, a rejected child would do to them? What, what would you say to encourage them? And, and if you don't mind sharing a little bit of, about that story. Okay. Um, one thing, like I said, the, the second little girl we had that came, you know, she had a plan of her own. She was only six. She thought if she could just get back in her home with her family, she could fix it. And um, actually still kind of believes that. And she is going on 16. Um, and that's another thing I have. I guess I have a little bit of a good self-image. I don't know because I've been called a lot of names and, um, you know, accused of one of them said one time, well, the reason that I'm in, you know, in this home is because mom and dad wanted another kid. And I, I said, no, that's not really how it went. We didn't go look for you and pull you out of your home. Um, and there are times um, where I have felt and my husband too, that, you know, it's psychologically understandable. We're the people here, we're safe. But um, we end up with the brunt of the punishment for things that we had nothing to do with. And every once in a while, you know, it would get wearing that, you know, I didn't do anything but open my home and my heart and try to do my best by you. But I think one, understanding that's going to happen because a person's birth heritage is, defines them also. And, you know, we, we've tried very hard not to um, say bad things about the birth parents. Um, we, you know, we're honest, but we try not to um, disparage them. And then, you know, we do have like our son, the last um, child we adopted, um, turned 18, found his birth family and went back there. And that's the choice he's made right now. We, um, we're hoping, you know, he kind of at least sees the light enough to um, know that we care about him. But we did what God told us to do. I believe that. And I'm hoping we made a difference. We certainly, you know, gave him an opportunity. And sometimes they're not going to take it. You know, there's so much involved in that. Well, and for anyone who is like, well, she just said exactly what makes me never want to adopt um, because what if the kids reject me or go back to their biological family? Uh, do you mind just, if you were just talking to someone that had said that to you, what would you tell them? I think, I guess what I would say is it's a process. Life is long. And I use my brother, my brother passed away um, last June unexpectedly. And, um, he had, like I said, he was four when my parents got him. He had an older brother and my parents were advised never to talk about him again. Um, Jim, I remember used to pretend he had a brother, but he really did. <laughs> and so, um, he grew up, um, a lot of difficulties as a teenager, you know, um, a lot of problems. He married very young, had a baby very young. Um, one point I was in college and my little sister called and said, you know, Jim's trying to choke dad. 
and I was an hour away. <laughs> I was like, why'd you call me? But um, he went through, he was angry. And then at about age 30, he um, reconnected with his brother and began a process of healing, just um, talking to him and learning things. And, you know, I think by 40, he was, he spent the rest of the next 25 years of his life trying to make up to my parents for the kinds of behaviors that had, um, they had struggled through and he loved them so much. He did amazing things for them. He had a plan. He told my mom, we're going to, I'm going to take you back to Milwaukee where she grew up and I want you to go anywhere you want to go and I'll take you. And you can visit any of the places you remember and, um, you know, whatever you want to do, this is for you. And actually she didn't take him up on it in time, but, um, he loved them. And I don't know that that will happen with our James or not. My brother's name was James. Um, but you know, I think that my parents gave him every opportunity. And the other thing I'll say, I hope this is okay. I watched my brother one time when his son got hurt and we had to take him to the ER and it was as if my dad, the most wonderful man in the world had somehow possessed his body. And my brother who is, was so opposite my dad in every way you can think of became him driving slowly, carefully, calmly to the ER with his son. And so it made a difference. They made a difference. And he gives me hope that even though it, you know, we only had like our James for uh, seven years, maybe we made a difference. Maybe he'll make different choices and we may never know, but God told us to do it. And um, I think it, you know, we're fulfilling a purpose. I mean, you're making it so clear. It's, it's not about the end result. It's about being obedient and doing what's best for the yes. kids. Yeah. Yes. Well, do you mind uh, maybe sharing a little bit more about your backstory? Um, there's a lot of, of things that I think we can learn from just your mindset of the world from being adopted and just how that, how that has played out into the decisions you've made as an adult, but maybe a little more detail if you don't mind. Okay. I love talking about adoption. Um, one thing, since I grew up in a family of, you know, an older brother who was adopted, a younger sister who was adopted, um, my parents, every year we celebrated our adopted day, whenever that was, and we got to choose um, what we had for supper. And I did that with our kids too, which meant the biological kids didn't get that. But, um, and we didn't choose what we had for supper because I always let my kids eat what they want. Um, so we chose dessert because that was a little more special. So, and then, you know, looked at life books or talked about the day they came or whatever. That's what my, my parents showed the slides back in the day. Um, and I grew up, it, it always affected me. And I remember my mom said I was about two years old and standing on the bathroom counter. And I said, did I grow in your tummy? And she said, no, you grew in someone else's tummy. And I said, what kind of a person would give up their baby? And it always affected me. I was terrified that they would come back and get me. Um, I, Cause I loved my parents and I, I didn't want to leave. And then, you know, as I grew up, I 
kind of sometimes fantasized that I would be back with her and she would be working and I could do whatever I wanted. I went through that phase and always wondering who is she met a birth mother, um, right after we married and we happened, it was very crowded at trail dust had to eat with someone else. And she was a birth mother. Somehow we got to talking and I said, well, do you think about the baby you gave up? And she said, think about him every day. And I thought, well, maybe my birth mother does. And so we started a search, found them. Um, and turns out she really didn't want to think about me at all. <laughs> she told my sister, I have a sister that's older than me. Um, that I had died at birth. So when I showed up, um, she had just told her that because we actually, my sister and I were searching for each other at the same time that year. And um, so it wasn't a happy thing. But anyway, I have a good relationship with my sister. Um, but I've always believed the truth is better, even though Dorothy was not happy about um, the truth coming out. It was better for me. It hurt. It hurt me at 50 years old to think she doesn't want me. And I could say that and cry. Um, one time I went to the mailbox and I didn't have a letter from my sister. And my brain said, oh, well, I'm just alone again. And this is somebody who has amazing parents and uh, wonderful siblings and a husband that loves me and, and kids. Anyway, it's there. So there is a grief. There is a hurt. And I think the more you know, the better, even if it's not good. Um, and finally, this year, you know, I said through DNA, I learned that the person she named as my birth father, whom I knew and interacted with for probably 20 years because he just happened to live in Texas and um, was not the birth father. And in one sense, I was thrilled because that poor man was very sad. But um, an alcoholic, an atheist, um, I just could not figure out um, where he was coming from. But anyway, the man who was my birth father just passed away in November, um, lives on the, lived on the other side of the world, and um, had four other children who at this point aren't that interested in me. But um, I just, I think, again, truth is better. Everything that you can share is better. And I know I love my parents. And I've spent a lifetime trying to make sure they know that, except for when I was a teenager. Um, now I'm trying to make up for it. But um, I just think that that's when an adopted kid, and even a foster kid wants to know, I love you, I care about you, I, I'm not worried about you, know, um, you not really being a part of me, even when you don't feel it. Um, I think that's the most important thing. That's powerful. I think one of the things that popped into my mind while you're sharing is just how important it is for people to know that the feelings that your child may have adopted in your home has nothing to do with the adoptive parents. It has everything to do with the fact that somebody else chose to give them up. And even, even yourself, you know, all these years later, uh, still having to be reminded that you're not alone. It's just, it does feel like it though. Wow. Yeah. It's a, and I have decided for my kids and this is, this is a on again, off again, but I, I believe it. I'm not responsible for their feelings. Um, and that's for all kids, even my birth kids, because they, they grew up with certain perceptions 
that I, when they tell me about it now, I'm like, what, what? I never, I never meant that. I didn't say that, but you know, that's why you want to look at children, all children, they are individuals who most of their life are going to spend as adults. And that's the important thing that's, you know, where they need to be. And the job, and I say, I, um, I say this a lot too, if you do everything right, the best of your ability, the best you can hope for is one day they're going to get up and leave you. And that's, that's your accomplishment <laughs> that they get to, you know, go live their own life. Yeah. I'm, I'm raising young men and women. I'm not raising little boys and little girls. I mean, that's what I tell people a lot. Wow. Well, so as we kind of wrap up here, I want to kind of ask you to kind of help us with what would you want the world to know? Uh, if there was one specific thing about foster care or adoption, what would you like everyone to just know about it? I think it is such a great need. I, I think the statistics are like, what, 130,000 kids looking for permanent homes, something like that. And they're, um, they just need someone to love them. The thing is that you, just like with any child, you're not going to always feel that love back. And you do. If, if you're a Christian, I think it's, you know, the obedience factor comes in. I don't think everyone should do this. I used to think everyone should. And actually, in a way, I think, well, you know what? Um, probably a lot more people should, because if you have a place and you can um, invest a little time, life goes very fast. Suddenly you're going to be in your 90s and, you know, what have you done? But not everyone's called to this. Anyway, um, I just think that you have, you know, sometimes these people are very unlovable and sometimes they are wonderful. I wish I could read to you what my 20 year old just put out on the internet about how much she appreciates and loves her parents, which um, we didn't feel like that <laughs> five years ago. And the amazing insights that this person has at her young age, and she has been through stuff you would, um, people would not imagine. But anyway, um, just that you just have to remember they're wounded people. If God calls you, then you got to just keep going back to God and saying, help me, help me, help me. Cause you certainly, I don't know how you could do this without him. That's definitely true. I can't imagine. Is there anything I, I like kind of ending like this? Is there anything you feel has been left unsaid that you'd like to share? Well, I, do, I just don't want to put the kids in a terrible light because we had some, we have had some really great times. They're funny. All kids are pretty funny at times and um, they have impacted the, my grown kids in many ways, sometimes, sometimes um, hurtfully, but I think made a difference. And even way back when we adopted the little ones, we felt like how different our two firstborn would have been without um, their siblings whom they love and care about. That's about it. Well, it's an honor having you on. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through email podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe. To everyone listening, thanks for helping bring kids home. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.